Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out how Tougaloo College is making history with a new institute focused on combating modern-day slavery. Bolts and more and more insight to really build up the Tougaloo College Institute for the Study of Modern-Day Slavery. Uh, We're going to be an international player. This is going to be an important niche for Tougaloo College. Then, on StoryCorps, we'll hear from a family who adopted children across racial lines. And later, an update from a family friend on Daniela Vargas and her family as deportation threatens their future together. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Tougaloo College in Jackson is positioning itself to become the nation's leader in the study of modern-day slavery. The college has received a grant from the Andrew Mellon Foundation to create the first institute in the nation on the subject. Worldwide, more than 45 million people are enslaved. This week, Tougaloo is hosting a conference with experts to develop the curriculum. Tougaloo President Beverly Hogan explains the vision for the institute to MPB's Desiree Fraser. We see this as another opportunity to look at a pervasive issue, not only in our nation, but one that threatens our civil society and global democracy, not only just Americans' democracy. And and how do we do this in the context of academia? So that's what we're doing, looking at curriculum, research, pedagogy, and civic engagement in the communities, getting our students and faculty to extend their research and this scholarship in this area, and so that we be able to come up with solutions to eradicate this issue of modern-day slavery that's broadly and so far beyond just simple human trafficking, but it's forced labor, it's uh, labor laws and all of those kinds of things, any, any acts of servitude. So, and it's so expansive that um, sometimes I think we forget about it because we, we thought at one time that might have been an international issue. It's something that happened in other communities. But this is an issue that knows no racial, ethnic, gender, or socioeconomic lines. Uh, it infiltrates all of our communities. You said pedagogy. Can you define that for us? The techniques that we will use to teach uh, how we will approach this, whether it's going to be, it's not going to just be limited to the social scientists. There's implications for the natural scientists. And we just had a wonderful discussion from our humanities areas about how art, all forms of art, can help with expression and how we can help people understand and appreciate what it means to be human and act accordingly. You talked about it in terms of healing, art and healing. One of the panelists uh, talked about that 
quite well in Dr. Montgomery, who's dean of our Division of Humanities. We should put together that. I remember I have a background in psychology and mental health. We use art therapy a lot with children and helping them to deal with solutions. And that's the same concept that occupational therapy was, were, uh, was based on. How do you get them engaged and how do you get them to express what they feel through art form that they cannot put voice to. Of all the issues that you could deal with, because there's so many, why modern day slavery? Because it is a pervasive issue in our society, and it is growing. It affects um, more than 130 million children and families across across the globe. It is a $150 billion industry. And I think that our institutions, and I've always looked at Tougaloo, as such. We're laboratories for democracy. Within our resources, we have all of the skills and techniques and capacities to deal with the issues of a larger society. And our educational institution must be a platform to get issues out of the background and to the forefront through scholarship, through research, through engagement in the community. Otherwise, nothing changes. Thank you for your time. Sure, thank you. Tougaloo President Beverly Hogan. Steve Rosman is Dean of the Department of Social Sciences. He tells Desiree Fraser how the Institute is taking shape. Well, this is a kickoff of something that's very important for us because Tougaloo College has received a grant from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation to develop an institute for the study of modern-day slavery, which will be a first in the country, and also to be a leader among HBCUs and really promoting it. And so they asked us right from the get-go to bring in other HBCUs as collaborators in the project, and we've brought in Morehouse, which will be here in a couple of days, and Bennett, which is here. And so working together here, we've got faculty from all four of our academic divisions involved in it, and uh, Historians Against Slavery is the leading national organization committed to fighting modern-day trafficking. And also we've got the lead scholar in the world uh, on modern-day slavery, Kevin Bales, who's with us, about to give his keynote presentation. What is modern-day slavery? Modern-day slavery is current forced labor where people are in situations they can't get out of, and a lot of it relates to uh, traffic and prostitution. You have a lot of people who are enslaved in agriculture, especially in remote areas of the world, like Amazon jungle, they can't get away. We have people who are enslaved industrially. We have people working in restaurants, uh, uh, some of the ethnic restaurants, who are basically forced laborers, and they can't get out of the situation. A lot of domestic servants are are in forced labor. There are more people enslaved today than it ever ever been in the history of the world. Of course, it's a much larger population. Estimated 25 to 40 million people or more who are enslaved in every country in the world. Is it happening here in Mississippi? Oh, absolutely. It's happening everywhere. But the thing is, it's often difficult to detect because uh, it's, it's underground. It's illegal, unlike traditional race-based slavery. Uh, you've got uh, people who are prostituted here against their will. You've, you, you have some of these, what, uh, back page, back pages. That is a network that has offers a lot of services, including... Uh, sexual services? Sexual services, everything else. And the thing is, uh, they claim it's innocent, but the thing is, they're not openly advocating prostitution, which is against the law in this state and most other states. But basically, a lot of these people are trafficked in and out. If you look at some of those ads, these are people who are doing it against their will. What do you want to come out of this? What I want to come out of this, we're putting together, we've got all these experts 
putting together the nuts and bolts and more and more insight to really build up the Tougaloo College Institute for the Study of Modern Day Slavery. We're going to be an international player. This is going to be an important niche for Tougaloo College. We're, we're playing a key role not only among HBCUs, but nationally, internationally, and it really enhances our motto where history meets the future. Tougaloo uh, was a leader in Mississippi in the struggle against Jim Crow and, uh, and segregation in the 60s, and now we want to tie that together, dealing with the future and help play a role in abolishing modern-day slavery. We've got curriculum development, research, community outreach. We're going to have community partners here, have the public officials, uh, somebody from the Hines County Sheriff's Department, and we've got uh, students and faculty engaged in mentored research so really, we're, it's a collaborative effort internally and externally to try to uh, address this, uh, this problem of modern-day slavery. What do you want students to get out of this? I want students to become involved in gaining an insight into modern-day slavery. We want internships and connections with, uh, with, outside, with the community organizations fighting this. We want students learning applying it in research and then interacting. So they will be important players in this whole effort to uh, to put a spotlight on modern-day slavery and help to stamp it out. Are there men that are trafficked? Yes, there are uh, mainly women and children. Of course, you got men who are trafficked. Usually they're forced into not sexual, like, well, some, I guess, but they're, they're mainly involved in uh, agriculture, industry, domestic labor, whatever. This is an important step in putting more pieces together to really create a dynamic program uh, locally, nationally, and internationally. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Tougaloo Professor Steve Rosman with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, Daniela Vargas and her family face the very real possibility of deportation. We'll hear from a family friend on how they're handling it. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. MPB's at issue has the 2017 legislative session covered from all angles. You'll hear each week from Mississippi's most influential elected leaders at the state capitol. MPB political analysts Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how these issues impact you. Join host Wilson Stribley for Mississippi's only statewide television news program at issue Fridays at 7.30 p.m. on MPB TV. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Wendy Schenefeld is multiracial. Her parents, who adopted her as an infant, are white. In this visit on the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, Wendy and her mother, Dari Schenefeld, talk about why her parents chose to create a transracial family. How did you and Daddy decide to come to the decision to adopt transracially? Well, first of all, your father had accepted a job as an assistant professor of research in pediatrics, 
at the Cincinnati Children's Home. I mean, excuse me, the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And we moved into a racially mixed neighborhood by choice. And we wanted to adopt a little a sister for our two little boys. So we applied to the children's home in Cincinnati, and we asked to adopt a black or biracial girl because we knew at that time many of these babies were having trouble finding homes. Mm -hmm. And also, we hadn't actively participated in in what was going on in the South because we were Mm -hmm. living in the North and busy with our personal lives. And we thought, well, this is a way of supporting racial integration. Mm -hmm. I can remember talking to Daddy about that as well, is that it was a way to, not to say a social experiment, but that that the way to true integration and, and equality in this country can come from, hopefully, from living together in one house as brother and sister. And so growing up in that house with people that don't necessarily look alike, but we loved each other um, all the same, and we just grew up as family, and we just never knew any difference. So did you talk to any of your family before you got started with this uh, crazy <laughs> transracial adoption thing? I mean, were well, they we supportive? Had to because the adoption agency required us to do that. Mm-hmm. And when we wrote to your, your daddy's parents... Uh, We knew there would be no problem. And your grandfather, Roy, said in these words, you need to have no qualms about being rejected by us, whichever way you go. Mm -hmm. And your grandmother, Florence, wrote back, Ray, whatever child you and Dari choose will be loved by us. And we really appreciated that. Now, my parents (laughs) were... Well, my mother was kind of shy and quiet, mm-hmm. and I thought she probably really did approve, but she was a little concerned that we might have problems. My father thought it wasn't a good idea, but at least he didn't try to interfere in any way. And then we had a lot of support from our neighbors because we lived in a mixed neighborhood. Right. And we also attended the Unitarian Church, and the, the church members were very supportive mm-hmm. of our decision. Mm -hmm. And despite your father's concerns, when we arrived, he never treated us any differently. He was always the stern grandfather that that he was, (laughs) but it didn't have anything to do with what we looked like. It was that we were noisy kids (laughs) who descended upon his house and and turned his house upside down when we came to visit. But he never treated us any differently. And I always appreciated that. So so what about the this the state agency the children's home where you applied were they supportive of adopting transracially or did they try to say no this probably isn't the best idea well they hadn't ever done it before <laughs> and so they had a, a big staff meetings and they talked it over and some of them weren't sure about it but finally they decided they'd go ahead and honor our request mm-hmm. So then we adopted your your sister, Heidi, in May of 1970. And two years later, we adopted you in April of 1972. You were six months old. And our neighbor, who was, happened to be African-American, called you the girl with a million-dollar smile. 
And the woman who had been your foster mother before you were place, placed with us called you princess because there was a Cherokee chief in your family. Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, You know, growing up and having that label of being triracial, I think that was always fun to, to imagine that one of my ancestors had been a Cherokee chief. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Immigrants' rights supporters are showing solidarity for 22-year-old Daniela Vargas. She is the Argentinian-born student who has been living in the U.S. since the age of seven. Supporters gathered a vigil for her last night at Fondren Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Vargas was arrested in Jackson following an immigration rights protest. She now waits to find out if her attorneys can plead her case before a judge before she is deported. Our Matt Kessler talks with the Vargas family's pastor and family friend. Reverend Goyo de la Cruz visited Daniela and her family members at a detention center in Louisiana. He describes the experience. In uh, short words, it is chaotic because everything was changed drastically in the, the, in the life of that family. So from the heaven to the hell. Talk us through each family member's situation. The father, Daniel, is uh, sick. He has uh, prostate cancer, and he's not receiving the correct attention, medical attention in the detention center. Why isn't he getting the medical attention he needs? Because uh, they don't have uh, the equipment inside of the jail, you know. He needs to stay in one special place with uh, special attention. So the condition in that place uh, is not good for him. How is Alan, the brother? He's uh, worried about uh, his children. He has three children and his wife. And uh, he uh, also told me he lost a lot, lost a lot of uh, things, like uh, his house. Uh, he lost the house because uh, he's not paying anymore. So economically, he is broken. He doesn't know what will happen in the future, but he's uh, optimistic. He said, if uh, I will be deported to to my country, I will start again. But uh, he's waiting the deportation to Mexico because uh, his wife is from Mexico. I don't know if uh, it will be accepted or not, but uh, immigration needs to decide what will happen with uh, uh, Alan. Has his wife also been detained? No. 
uh, his wife is free. She called him, and uh, she has. Uh, they have com communication. So the wife can't visit in the detention center. No, because she's she doesn't have documentation to. Tell us about Daniela. Daniela's situation uh, are more critical because uh, she doesn't know what will happen uh, from uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and um, she's. Um, Practically, she's waiting for her deportation, and uh, she's afraid, and um, she has many, many questions, but no answer. Does she think this is retaliation for speaking to the media? Personally, if you ask me for my personal opinion, I think so. You know, the media sometimes very good, helpful, but sometimes uh, it doesn't help. In this case, I think the immigration took the media as enemy. Uh, in this case, in Daniela's case, it was uh, something against her uh, situation. How are her conditions? Uh, psychologically, you know, she's affected. She's devastated right now. I told her, don't worry. The media is uh, trying to help you a lot. And she she hear me and uh, she's uh, a little bit more alleviated right now. What's next? Will anybody receive a trial? Will anybody be able to see a judge, or will they just will the three be deported? Yeah, according to the information of the legal information, uh, they say that they are ready for deportation. They are waiting for the next flight to Argentina. What happens to all the family's possessions? They lost. Simply, simple. They lost everything: house, cars. I don't know if they they had money or not. Just they lost. Do they have a sense of when they will be deported? Uh, no, as I, you know, it's easy to deport people to to Mexico or Central America because it's, it's near, it's close from here. But for Argentina, it's uh, difficult to find one flight. What's next for each of the family members? So, definitely, it will, they will be divided. Even if uh, um, Daniela can get the visa here, the DACA. So she will be here, Alan maybe will be in, in Mexico, and the father will be in, in Argentina. You've just been to visit them. What is your impression about the whole situation now that you've seen the family in person? Imagine, it's, it's like uh, to lost one family. Of course, they are not dead, but uh, uh, when can I talk again with him? I need to call Argentina. I will miss the barbecue that he did very good. I will miss to see the family because they they were like my family. So for me, personally, it's uh, like uh, lost my family. That's sad. Can you talk to me about the feeling in your congregation, in your community right now? Uh, you know, in the family of Daniel is not, is not the only case. We have several families deported. There's been a, a major spike in anti-immigration sentiment in the United States recently. Why do you think that is? That's special because um, I think that deportation uh, has the, in terms of numbers, it's the same number before with Obama and now with our new president. But uh, the intensity the character of uh, which the immigration officers 
are acting right now is different. I think uh, something was changed in this last month. It's more intense right now. Uh, there's one uh, bad environment against uh, immigrants in this moment. It was changed in this year, uh, which is dangerous, you know, in, in our in our relation in, in our human relationship. Uh, we need to do something. I think we need to love more each other. Reverend Goyo de la Cruz spoke with our Matt Kessler. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, in legal terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Education now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olmist.com.